This is the seventh of eight episodes this season, which means I'm running out of time to lovingly nudge you to grab your ticket to Insura Quality's inaugural summit coming up on September 15th in Chicago. Consider this your loving nudge. I will be there. So many women you know will be there. Women you you know, but also women you've yet to know and women that you're going to want to know. Make your plans. I'd love to meet you in Chicago. What a great podcast episode. Exclamation point, exclamation point. There were six exclamation points and a follow-up that she is so delightful and so wise. One of you listeners out there sent me that feedback after listening to the last episode with Melanie Parsons, and absolutely she is delightful and so wise, and I know that that is one of those episodes that I'm going to go back to over and over and over again when I need to fill my little cup, and you're welcome to do the same. I have finally landed, well, I drove here, but I have arrived in Montana. I am beyond thrilled to be in one place for a little bit and to really spread out the summer and do some exploring and and also some settling in, in a way. It's an interesting moment for me. My guest on the podcast today, Regan Brandt, is actually here in Missoula. We recorded this in our respective offices. She and I have not yet met. However, we will reconcile that this summer. Regan is a woman, if you don't know her already, she has started multiple businesses. For me, when I look at her resume, my my little intimidation, I don't know, are those hairs on the back of my neck? No, but like that feeling like, oof. This woman has got it together. And the truth of the matter is that Regan does, but she also has this beautiful blend of humanity and she's real and she's raw and she's down to earth. She's just a cool woman and you know you're in for a treat. You don't need me to remind you. So let's do it. I am your host, Meg McKean, and this is Bound and Determined. You know, let's dive in. You grill me. I don't I I didn't do any research. I was like, well, this will be authentic because I don't know anything. So, uh... <laughs> well, let's just start it there. Um, Regan, thanks for saying yes. You know, I host this little podcast and it's a pride and joy for me. And every time I reach out to a woman that that I admire that I think is doing cool stuff and she says yes, I still get that little pang of like, oh, she yeah. said yes, this is actually <laughs> happening. So yeah. Um, we don't have an agenda. We are here. I created this with the intention to share stories and ideas and wisdom and in doing so supporting and inspiring other women on their way. And so sometimes things land and sometimes they don't. And I think yeah. it all depends on where we are as listeners in our lives at the moment. And I know you're also a podcast host as well. So I'd love to lean into a little bit of that yeah. expertise too. But this season I am uh, using a listener question to really get us started. Totally. Yeah. And then see which way we go from there. Okay. And I love, sounds good. I love the open-ended. I don't have context for this question, but here it is. And we'll fill in some blanks through our, our stories and sharing. How have you bounced back after a setback, either professionally or personally? And I chose this question for you in particular, because you have started multiple businesses. You have taken chances in your life and your career. Uh, there's no way we do those things without yeah. the old two steps forward, one step back. And so don't ever want to put you in a place where you're telling stories that you're not comfortable with. That's a ground yeah. rule here on the podcast. But I do think there is beauty in the mess. And sometimes that's where the growth happens. And yeah. so I ask you that question. It's very open-ended. What comes to mind for you? I don't know. It's funny. Like I, in this, I don't want to sound like this is cheesy or altruistic. Like 
I don't know if I've really had real setbacks, right? Mm -hmm. Because I think it's all a mindset of how you look at it. And so obviously there's lots of things along the way that I'm like, oh man, did I really do that? Like, how did I use that as marketing material? Or how did I hire that person and not realize all these flaws or different things like that? But I have really tried to kind of blend it with a lens that like, I am now better for that. That other person or those other people I've made those mistakes with taught me something and I need to kind of find that like diamond in the rough on it. And so I can kind of give like a broad example, you know, one, probably a few years back, I hired an employee that I was like, oh, this is going to be amazing. It's going to be so good. And it ended up being like a total disaster and a flop. And I, I remember just candidly like talking to my husband about it, and he's like, I'm so mad at that person like this is, you know, and I didn't feel those things. I was literally like, hey, I went into it. I didn't do my homework that I should have done. I didn't do this. I didn't have clear objectives. I didn't have clear things like this. I learned a lot and I'm never going to make that mistake again. I think maybe early on in my career, I would have dwelled on it and been like really hard on myself. But I've kind of learned like if you do that, it gets you nowhere. To add a layer to that, have you always been that way? Like, have you, oh, you oh, mentioned no. when you were earlier in your career? Oh, no, early, everything mattered so much, right? Like I remember, so I'm very fortunate. My uncle, uh, Mike Mansfield is a mentor of mine. He's on, on the board of two of the businesses that I currently run right now. And I can just really be authentic and honest with him on things like that hurt my ego or, you know, maybe people upset me and I would call him, you know, my blood's boiling. And I will never forget one of the calls I was having with him. He said, you know, maybe you need to think about it. Does your blood boil too easily? And I was like, huh, okay. All right. Maybe it does. Like if I want to be in this world, there's going to be people that, you know, don't take you seriously, try to knock you down. There's weird competitiveness. There's all these issues that are going to happen. But if I let that control my destiny, like I'm going to get nowhere, you know, it's like too much negative energy. And so I would, I will say like the first three to five years of my career, it was really hard. Like everything was personal. I was like full of anxiousness, really stressful. And over time, I've realized that just is only going to make me go backwards. Instead of the two steps forward, one step back, it was like 10 steps backwards, you know? And yeah. why do that? Why do that to ourselves? Yeah. If, you know, it's, it's so easy, right? It's just so easy. Just don't think about it. Don't worry about the criticism. Don't worry about the naysayers. Don't, um, easier said than done. Though, totally. Right. And, and I will share, I was thinking about this too. What could I add or contribute yeah. to this conversation? And it's actually something that I'm very much working through still today. In the early days in my business, five years ago, I did a lot of things that were geared towards individuals and they needed to sign up or register for them. And so I would build this really cool program or have this really neat offering. And then I would send it out into the universe, i.e. social media, and it would go nowhere. Nobody would sign up. And what that did to me in the building of my confidence was maybe not a setback in the grand scheme of things, but my confidence was really low yeah. that I could create something neat and cool and fun and magical, which I knew that it was, and I knew that it would be, but then it didn't land. It, nobody signed up for it. And yeah. so I realized now looking back, that is still very much a thing for me. I have very real feelings when it's time to tell the world about something that I am doing. There's kind of a yucky feeling in my, my belly. That's like, Ugh, is this going to go the way that, that that went, you know, way back when. And of course I am not that person. I have built an amazing supportive network of people yeah. who are asking me to do these things. It's different now, but I am still in many ways that scrappy, 
you know, one of the first, I was just telling this story earlier this week with the group of women, one of the first people that I approached about the work that I was doing now on my own as a consultant with my own brand, my own company, he asked me whose model I was using for training and development, whose method was I using? And it was like the first time that I realized, Ooh, I've spent my whole career schlepping, but always somebody else's stuff. And this is my stuff. And that added this extra layer of doubt and uncertainty that like, who am I? You know, the imposter syndrome sets in totally to do this. And um, I realized though, those are pivotal moments and we overcome them in a sense. They're all, they're still there. I think we learn skills to navigate through them and, and with them in a sense. Well, and I think some of it's like managing expectations, right? Like I think my my husband calls it my Leavenworth moment. So I was really, this is a total tangent on the side thing, but I was in Seattle and I had always heard about Leavenworth at Christmas. Like the Santa flies in, the town turns on the lights and I'm like a huge Christmas, like redecorate the whole house, switch everything. So I was like, I really want to go to Leavenworth and we get there and like they turn on the lights and it's like, oh, not that cool. And I was like crushed because in my head, I really thought like, I'm actually meeting the real Santa Claus tonight. This is like how I had built it up. And I think in careers, you know, like, and I've kind of seen this now firsthand. It's like you build up these people on a pedestal, like, wow, they run this division or they run that, or it's this, it's not a true expectation. And it's not really true who the people are. And so at least for me, that's kind of help. Cause if something goes out and it does flop, it's like, okay, those people weren't ready for what I brought yet. This wasn't there. And it's kind of like giving us grace where in our head, if we're like, I want this to go viral and I want all these things, then you are disappointed, you know, and it does hurt the ego more. So I've really tried to like, as I've done these businesses, it's like, yes, I have a roadmap where I want them to go, but I'm also realistic that like, they might not get to all those things at the right time. And I might need to push and there might be other, I'm going to make mistakes and I'm going to do these things. But like, how do I keep on the track that it's not like I let that expectation ruin me in the moment? Mm. A former guest, Nikki Brandt, shared a LinkedIn post a while back about this notion that we let all of these external forces sort of influence us, but are they coming from people who we would actually want to trade places with? Yeah. The light bulb went off for me and I realized when I say what I mean and when I speak clearly and with intent, it draws in exactly who I want to be connected with. Yeah. And I don't mean connected like LinkedIn connected, but like the advocates and the supporters and yeah. the friends and really the the people who I want to pal around with in this industry. Yeah. When I put on that coat that doesn't quite fit and when I use a language that's out of alignment, it might bring in other people, but then it's only adding more of that friction. And I'm like, why do I do this to myself? I mean, totally. I, it really is a wild, you know, and this is entrepreneurship, at least in the beginning, you know, I am building a, a one woman business intentionally. Yeah. You've built different businesses with other stakeholders and input and ideas and opinions. But it's amazing how, especially when you're just starting out, you have to own all of these decisions. You have to be the marketing and be the branding and be the sales. And you're figuring so much of it out as you go. Let's talk about Lost Run Pro. I This is not a, a sponsored episode. I have no stake in saying this, but I see a lot of technology solutions that come my way because of the nature of the work I do. I have a lot of contacts and connection and influence in the agent broker space. And so people will approach me and say, Hey, will you schlep my thing? And I'm like, I don't really know your thing. And I don't, if I don't understand and can't prove that your thing has value, then the answer to that is no. 
Um, Lost Run Pro is different for me. The first time I saw the demo and heard about it, I'm like, oh yeah, this solves a very real need in the industry. And this isn't fluff. I mean, it's super accessible, it's affordable and makes that process of finding and assembling loss runs, which is so tedious for anybody working inside an agency that it's like, like I said, it solves a real business problem. So more please, but tell me, I'd love to know the origin story. Starting a business is something I have done. It's something a lot of women reach out and say, I've got this idea. I'm thinking about it. And we tend to have a lot of conversations about transition and how do you kind of take that first next step. And so I'd, I'd just love to know a little bit more about how this came to be for you. Yeah. And I kind of have to go way back to explain it. But so in 2008, I was approached to start a premium finance company by a group of investors. And at the time I was 24, I was a female and I'd never been in the insurance space. And I was like, oh yeah, I can totally do this. Like Googling, what is premium financing? Long story short, I was lucky enough. That was a pretty successful venture. I actually still run that premium finance company, but we worked with about 15,000 retail agents and it was all ENS market. And so my agents were all always needing to get loss runs and policies were being bound like contingent on getting loss runs or this. And so it would change the billing and it would have issues of cancellations. And so I started to kind of dive in in like 2018, 2019 and talk with my top agents and be like, tell me about this like loss run thing. And they're like, yeah, we like ask the customer who then has to go ask their current agent. And I'm thinking, okay, hello, this is so awkward. It's like if you're married, but you're on Tinder, just checking out what's out there still like so uncomfortable. How do you get this? And so it was kind of like, hey, I have this great network. I want to continue to add value to my agents. Could I be the one that solves this problem? And it was serendipitous at the same time. I'm in Missoula. I know we were recently talking about that. And um, Payne West is located here. And they were joining a group called Broker Tech Ventures, which is 14 of the top 100 agencies formed a VC group to kind of support broker technology. And me being kind of the ultimate sales business person, I was like, I could be in the room with 14 of the C-suites from the top companies. Like I'm going to that thing and I'm pitching my idea. And so at the time it really was, it was just kind of an idea. I was like, I think this is a pain point. I think I could do technology, pitched it to them. We ended up getting selected into it. And that was kind of my nudge to go, okay, you've had this idea for a year and a half. You've kind of thought about it go over the cliff and figure it out now. And so then it was kind of just like, how do you eat an elephant? How did I start my other businesses? Okay, what tech stack am I going to use? Who am I going to do for the pieces? What kind of funding am I going to do? And I just kind of started working each day towards like getting it launched, you know, on that side of it. So I know that was probably a way longer story than you were hoping, but that was kind of how I initially even came up with the idea or really just feeling like I want to solve something that really is a pain point and fix it for these agents. And then can I continue to add more and more value to them? Mm -hmm. It's a long story, but long in, in time maybe, but you covered a a lot, (laughs) a lot in a short amount of time. You talked about outside funding, which isn't the kind of business that I'm building is different. Doesn't require that, but does, if you're thinking about building a tech platform or a tech enabled business and scale, scale is something that I am asked often, what are you doing with this? Are you building it to sell it? I'm not, it's not, again, it's not the business I'm building, but if it is, that introduces a whole new, you know, you've got to focus on the present and here and now, but you've also got outside interests and a bigger picture plan that you need to map out and follow. And did you, 
this is a self-serving question, but when you yeah. started this, did you think about that or were you just thinking this is a problem I can solve it? Yeah. I would say two thoughts to that. And it was funny that you said you get a lot of people coming to you trying to schlep the product, right? So I've now been in this space. I've met a lot of the insure tech companies, whether it was through the cohort at all these events. And they're like brilliant people, brilliant tech people, a bazillion times smarter than I am. But they tell me what they're doing a lot of times. And I'm like, okay, you're using like AI to scan brains to get an application through a fingerprint. Very cool. But like, do you know who you're selling to? And like, this is a legacy industry with a lot of regulatory issues, with a lot of compliance issues. A lot of these people make very good money. So to get them to switch the whole way they sell insurance is going to take time. It's going to happen, but it's going to be a slow evolution. And so, you know, when I was starting this idea, it was kind of like my end goal is to become the conduit of all loss run data, right? Make sure it gets to the right hands, right people instantly. It's not necessarily just via request and different things like that. But I wanted to meet brokers, carriers. Where are they at today? You know, and so I was kind of like, how can I help slowly introduce it so that Tammy, Tony, you know, all these guys feel comfortable. They adopt using it. It's a better way than they're currently doing it. And then continue to add incremental value. And so that's that's kind of how I approached it. I was like, it's very simple. It solves this real problem. But there's a lot more meat. And, there, and I've had that from the beginning. Like where I want to go and what I want it to do is pretty amazing if I can pull it off. But it's like steps along the way. Because I think you scare people. And you probably see this, you know, AI is amazing. Machine learning is amazing. Humans don't trust it quite yet. They still want the human in the loop. And so I'm like, I want to meet people where they're at now that it's like they can slowly adopt this and then help where we can help make, you know, good synergy for the people. Yeah. I love that you brought up and and thank you for all that reflection and sharing. And, you know, the future is unknown, right? Who knows yeah. where, where yeah. any of this is going. I've been thinking a lot, as I think a lot of us in the business have about AI and about what this yeah. is going to do in terms of, of the insurance industry. I think we're being naive if we don't remember any time we've been in a period of rapid change, like we figure it out. I don't want to yeah. diminish what's going on right now, but as someone who has built a business around the human experience in our business, something like AI is this very sort of out of the box concept for me. And I'm trying to figure out what does my business look like in the context of AI? And, and yeah. really where I've landed with this is if there aren't humans that are demanding the AI, the AI doesn't have value, right? Like the AI is here to, it sounds so elementary, but the AI supports the human experience. And so exactly. it will in cases replace us. And I think that's a legitimate concern um, yeah. for those in certain positions. But at the end of the day, when I think about all of the things that that I'm doing from a human experience standpoint and that you're doing from an efficiency standpoint, all of that will continue to be relevant. It's going to look different and there's going to yeah. be some learning growing pains like one would expect in change. But yep. um, I love your idea and the, the notion, this concept of meeting people where they are. I talk about it a lot in, in the work I do. When yeah. I mentioned building these things that didn't land, didn't sell early on in my in my business, that's what it was, was I had built the thing yeah. that was going to revolutionize producer education. And I still, I still have so much affection for it because I really think it was a beautiful solution. But when I started going out and telling people about it, they just kind of like folded their hands and sat back in their chair and said, I don't get it. And so I pivot 
that is a setback in a certain way that this beautiful thing I've built that nobody wants to buy is obviously not going to sustain me. So I need to figure out another option. And I did. And, and I think you do, if you're committed to the overarching goal, which is change, you know, we can do this differently. We can see this industry through, through a different lens. So interesting to reflect a little bit. This episode will go out about around my five-year business anniversary. And so I'm feeling- yeah, I'm feeling I'm feeling a lot of feelings about it. Just very yeah. reflective, and and maybe that's that's a convert. Maybe let's go there. So you know, some of the work I do is speaking moderation, women's conferences, and I love the question about sort of advice giving. But I'm very leery yeah. of um, women who are established have reached a seeming level of success giving advice to younger women because I think it falls flat. Yeah. Sometimes we forget about the millions of steps in between and the stub toes and the setbacks. So instead of advice you might give to a younger woman, what would you tell your younger self? Yeah. My biggest thing, and I tell this to everyone, it is like, and it was funny, you you said something earlier and I won't say it as correctly as you did, but it's finding mentors who are true mentors, right? But it's not necessarily like someone who you're like, oh, they're the CEO. They're the CFO. I want to be like them. It's finding people to who you said, you know, I think you've mentioned like the coat fits perfectly, right? And so look at people that maybe have their work-life balance that you like? Is this who you want to be like in 10 years? Not something that you think you should be or like, oh, he's willing to take me under their wing. And so I feel like I was very fortunate. I found some really good mentors and I'm kind of a stage five clinger. I laugh. I was like, okay, if you're willing to mentor me, like I am going to suck on to you. And, and I lay kind of boundaries too with them where I'm like, Hey, can we have a check-in once a month for an hour? I want to be able to like, tell you all these things and be my true self with you and have you give me criticism, advice, you know, guidance along the way. And I think where a lot of young people, you know, don't feel as comfortable is like being as aggressive on that. Like of saying like, I want to set up time with you on a consistent way. Like, will you be my mentor? Will you do these things? Can I be my true self around you? And are you really someone that I want to be like in the next 10 or 20 years? And so I think if you can find those people be real with them. Cause it, it is like now I want to pay it forward. Right. Like I have some young people that come to me that I'm like, Hey, give me a couple of years. Like I will mentor you. I'll get you here. I'll help you in your career. I'll help you in this personal life. And it's, it's fun to do that, but it's only rewarding if they're like coming to me and they're being honest with me and transparent. And so my biggest advice is that mentors. And I, I worry a little bit, you know, the younger people, I'm indifferent on the work from home stuff, but I think in-person relationships are important. So like if you work from home, see if your boss will grab coffee with you still go grab a beer with them, you know, go to a dinner with people like we crave human interaction. And that's, I think, the only way to not be just like measured on an output. We're more than just the outputs. We are all the intrinsics you bring to a business. But if you're just a work from home robot that no one sees or has relationships, it's harder to keep moving up and build those relationships with people. So my advice to any, and even to my previous self is like, there's a few that I'm like, oh, I probably screwed that up. I didn't as aggressively stay on top of them or I didn't follow up. They were willing to do it. And the, that's, you know, it's like finding those will open up so many doors for you. Yeah. Oh, there's so much there. And I do think a lot remains to be seen with the work from home. You know, I'm a fan of it. I did it. Yeah. Uh, I was a field underwriter for a long time and the company model was work from home. It wasn't a choice. It was the way they ran their business. Yeah. It, it helped with expenses and overhead and put people in the field where their clients were. It was really smart. 
then obviously COVID forced the issue. And, yeah. and in general, I'm a fan. It's interesting. And, and I actually interest, I don't know if it's interesting or not, but my mom and I had this conversation not too long ago about the use of technology and my niece and nephew are in middle school now and and they're not learning cursive handwriting. And, and I was like, you know, mom, but the last time I went to the doctor's office, they handed me an iPad to fill out my intake forms. And I just give a little squiggle at the bottom for my signature. And, and this is the way the world is progressing. And so there is a sense of that sort of longing for the way it used to be, which I get. I mean, I, I love some of the very traditional old school ways of life and business, but at the same time, this is the generation that we're bringing into the industry. And if their experience isn't printing and cursive and the way it yeah. used to be, we're doing a disservice. We need them. We need them. Yeah. We don't, we're not in a position where we can be choosy at this point because we haven't as an industry planned and built the bench strength. And I'm speaking in generalities, of course, totally, we have 100%. In certain, the talent crisis is a crisis because we knew that it was, was happening and we didn't plan yeah. for it properly. So it's just interesting because I wonder in 20 years when I'm retired, hopefully, yeah, um, what will networking look like? Will we have, you know, it's conference season in our industry. Will we have these massive in-person networking events? Or are we doing that because it feeds the Gen Xer in us and the old millennial in us who crave in-person connection? If you never had it, will you miss it? I don't know. Yeah. I don't know the answer to this. And so I'm trying to, you know, part of a big part of why I'm vocal about my personal decisions to do the digital nomad thing and to leave a traditional corporate role and do my own thing. And the reason I tell those stories is we have to. We have to show this next generation that your career may not look like 40 years indebted to one company with loyalty working one way. We have to meet them where they are. And that is adventure and flexibility. And yeah, um, it's just different. And so I, I feel for both sides of it. I don't know your age, but I suspect we're of a similar demographic and having the ability yeah. to remember sort of how it used to be, but also really embrace how it is now, I think is a gift in the future of being that bridge, if you will. Yeah. I mean, I worry like some of the younger generation and to your point, I see both sides, right? Maybe people will never phone call anymore and it will just be text messages and emails. I just hope it doesn't, you know, and I know that sounds cheesy and I'm not trying to be the old school yeah. person, but I'm like, there is something to like, I even still have staff now that they like emailed back and forth 10 times on an issue. And I'm like, can I just call the guy? And I'm like, oh, yeah, all we needed was that. And then it's done. And it's like, oh, they like you. Like, they read your email as being snarky. They read this. They read that. And I think there's so much about, like, human relationships that I, I agree with you. Like, the whole, whole, like, come to the office from 8 to 5 and you're measured on, like, being there, not the outputs is done, I think. I think that's totally dead. I think flexibility, like, we're humans. You need to be able to go do your things. Go to hot yoga at lunch and go do, you know, ride the Peloton, get a break and do those things I think are so important. But I just I worry about some of these younger generations. And I think there's some even in our ages that are just like, I'm fine. I'm behind the computer and I'm my output. And I'm like, that's great for now. But if you want to keep moving up, you need to learn how to manage people, talk with people, build relationships. And I think you can do that with technology. It doesn't have to be face to face. You can do Zoom calls. You can do these different types of things, but you have to be I think way more intentional yeah. to do it that way. A good example, I was just at Boston and SureTech and I ended up meeting a guy there that just like really wowed me and impressed me with what he had done. And we went and had dinner. We talked for five or six hours. It's like, if I would have just done a Zoom call with him, 
I would have never built this relationship. Yeah. That now I have. Now I feel like I'm like, I know his kids. He talked about his wife, just like all these things that I'm like, I feel like almost now you're a friend to me, you know? And it's like, there is something about in person. And I just, I hope our generation, you know, even these younger ones crave that. And I think there is, there's reasons why there's a lot of depression and different things going on for these younger generations. They're not having those human relationships as much. Well, and, and we can't talk about this and not talk about social media. Yes, I know. Where is the bulk of our information, our knowledge, our connection coming from? It's from and through a screen. Yeah. You know, one of my girlfriends shared on social media that a friend of hers who I'd met just once or twice passed away very unexpectedly, very tragically. And I called her last night because to me, uh, I'm so sorry for your loss on Facebook felt so flat for the depth of my connection with her, but also her connection with that friend. And I think in some ways we're shortcutting. It's uncomfortable to call someone and say, I know you're grieving. Can we talk? Can I support you? Can I be there for you? It's easier to leave a little broken heart emoji on social media and move on. But I don't know. I don't know if that's, that's more the nature of the person right? I think some people who are naturally, I'll say introverted and I am as well. Like I flex when I'm looking extroverted, it's because I'm getting out of my own comfort box, if you will, and want to retreat quickly back to my introvert space. But again, if you don't practice doing that, I can see how it would become very comfortable to stay, you know, behind the screen. And I don't know, I don't know the answer to it. And I think there's beauty in the talking about it and the acknowledging that maybe the answer is we all want and need different things. And that in a season of so much divisiveness in our world, in our country, maybe the answer is, is listening to each other and is slowing down. And, you know, Judy, what do you need today? If Judy, maybe the work from home thing isn't even about working from home. Maybe it's, there's something else going on in the office. That's uncomfortable. What's going on right now is different for each of us. And and we need different things and, and being open to those suggestions and solutions, I think is we're going to have to be, especially in our industry. Oh yeah. I mean, and people like to your point, some people it's like, they want a job where they can go to, and then they turn it off at five. And that's perfect. We need those type of people. Yes. We need all blends of people. And we need to meet like to your point, there are seasons when I had my young kids, I know I wasn't working as hard as I was. I physically couldn't. They, they, I was pulled in different directions, but I'm not, I mean, I'm going to kind of die on the soapbox, I think, but I still think it's like the personal connections. I, I'll give you a good example. And I was laughing about this. I had an intern who I just loved and he's the greatest guy in the world. And I was like, I'm going to set you up with my nanny. Like you guys should at least be friends and go like, hang out. So I was like, I'll text you guys. Oh, we don't text Rian. I'm like, oh, what do you guys do? We Snapchat. And yes. I'm like, okay, I'll give you guys each your Snapchat handle. Okay. I'll connect you guys live in the same town is here for nine months. They sent probably 15,000 Snapchats. They never met. They never met. And I go, wait, what? Like go hike the M go take her to dinner. Do you want to come to my house for a barbecue? Oh no. We just snap. And I'm going, Oh, you know, as, as a person who just craves, like I need the relationships. And even if it's just one person, like I feel like those friendships make me better at being a better mom. They make me better at being a better boss at better on these things. And so it is to your point, easy just to do the quick, like, Oh, I'll respond to you. Ha ha funny snap where it's a little more uncomfortable to go. I've never met you. And we're going to go to dinner and have to talk to each other. I worry that some of that, you know, even in our age too, it's so easy now to do those things that I'm like, 
if we can remember we're humans and to your point, it's like a great reminder of like, but so-and-so might need to work from home right now because their kids having issues or they're having these things going on, like being meeting people with grace, but like, you got to at least know the people like it's, it's a relationship business. Yeah. And, and I think a lot of the industries are, and those are all that, those are the only industries that excite me. Like I want to have relationships with people to make a difference, you know? Yeah. How do you unravel? There's no way. And I won't speak for you. There's no way I could do what I'm doing now. If I didn't have the relationships going into this, Yes, I couldn't, you know, if I had sort of put my head down for the first 15 ish years of my career and ignored everything that was going on around me and stayed in my, my safe cocoon, Mm-hmm. I wouldn't, let's be honest, I probably wouldn't have wanted to. Like if I'm yeah. being really, really thinking yeah. this through, I wouldn't have been motivated and inspired and frustrated enough to say, I want to yeah. tackle this thing on my own. And so I want to be fair. We got to, we have to think about the the bigger picture here, but. And that's what with the young people, that's what worries me, right? Because they think the job right now is good, but I'm like, but where do you want to be what you're now able to do because of those relationships? So that's why I'm like, dig in now when you're young. I don't know about you, but I think our industry has the greatest people. So nice, so kind. They are like genuinely, they've been grateful that they've been able to have the financial resources they do because this industry can be lucrative. Mm -hmm. They're willing to take young, aggressive, hungry, smart, motivated people and help them, take them anywhere. You just have to be open to it. Yeah, no, you're totally right. And I think about one of my best girlfriends was a colleague back in the day. I've slept on the couch in the spare room of an old agent of mine that I yeah. used to call like on my travel. I mean, it's been, it's hard to separate the personal Meg from the business Meg because I've been the insurance Meg because it's been such a part of my, of my DNA. We could, we could talk about everything for hours and hours. And I hope we yeah. get to, we get to catch up this summer in person yeah. when I'm here, but I want to talk just a little bit about your podcast and tell me what that's about, what you're working on. And then we'll end with kind of where people can go to learn more about you. And what Yeah. Yeah. So I run one, it's called the insurance chatter. And what I kind of do is I try to find like C-suites, different levels of executives, whether it's like in reinsurance, insurance carriers, MGAs, brokerages, and talk to them like, how did they even get started in insurance? I love that. Right. Because I think everyone has a unique story and it seems like most people kind of fall into it. They're not choosing it by choice. That's changing a little bit, but I love hearing how they got into it, how they see this industry evolving and how we can get young people excited about it. Cause I'm a competitive person and it makes me really mad that all these young college kids are like, oh, I'm going to go into finance. And I'm like, what is like insurance, the redheaded stepchild? Like, come on, we are cool. Like, this is amazing. And so wanting to share that, like, there's more to insurance than kind of gray stuffiness. There's a lot of young, there's a lot of innovation happening. There's a lot of really cool different opportunities where you can see insights into businesses. And so I kind of use that as a platform to try to help recruit, share knowledge about the industry and just show different avenues of it. Mm, I love that. And you're so right. We have this responsibility, this opportunity as those who are already here and sort of know the magic that can happen in this business to tell. I think we just have to tell the stories in a different way. You know, I, one of the things that I'm really thinking about right now, and this is a whole other tangent and we won't go there. um, We won't go there, but it's just about producer compensation and how we pay salespeople and just how out of alignment that is with how young people are valuing work right now. And I just think we're telling the story. We've got such an opportunity to do it differently and, and think about the heart and soul of what insurance does as a vehicle, as a tool, as 
there's so much there. There's so much richness there, but we talk so much about the financial upside, which is there. Yeah. But I don't think that that's what's motivating this generation. I think they want to see connection and impact and they want that flexibility. And we're not telling that story about what a career in sales can look like. I am certainly, but like I am one, one person of the thousands that are, you know, are in a position to do it. So anyway, super curious. Okay. So best place to find you. Probably LinkedIn. So obviously I run the finance companies, Columbia Pacific Finance, and then the Loss Run Pro is pretty easy, lossrunpro.com. So you can check us out there if that is something that they're interested in. Um, I do sit on like an advisory with K2 Insurance Services, which runs about 28 different specialty MGA divisions. So if there's any of those entities that people are trying to write specialty products, learn about MGAs, like happy to talk to people about that too. So... You're so cool. I'm so glad that that we made this happen and we had a, a yeah. couple scheduling hiccups on my end, but I'm glad that we're Oh, finding... mine too. So I know it was great. And then hopefully maybe we'll do hot house yoga while you're here together. Let's It'll make it. me get back in there and go do it. So yeah, I don't necessarily want to be hot, sweaty yoga with <laughs> everyone, but I would do it with you. So. Yeah. I was like, we can go down there then we can have coffee afterwards. Oh. So yeah. Sounds great. Thanks for being here. We'll, we'll see you soon. Okay. Sounds good. You've been listening to Bound and Determined, a podcast supporting the women in insurance, just like you and me. I'm the host of the podcast, Meg McKean. I also do the editing and my friends over at Softer Sounds help with production support. This episode was recorded in the Casita, aka fancy converted garage that I am renting here in Missoula, Montana for the summer. And I'll still be here in Missoula, Montana when you listen to this episode today. I have all sorts of fun adventures planned, one of which is climbing the M, which you heard Regan mention in our conversation. All Trails calls it a moderate hike. This Midwestern gal is learning mm, she's maybe not as outdoorsy as these gals in Montana are. Anywho, stay tuned for more of my adventures. The best way, if you're curious and would like to keep up with my nomad adventures, as well as some other random musings from my life and business, Subscribe to to Taking the Risk. It's a monthly-ish newsletter that I curate and have a lot of fun with. You can subscribe at adjunctadvisors.com forward slash newsletter. Thanks for listening all the way here to the end. Thanks for being in my life. Thank you for your support and your encouragement, your positive five-star reviews, your financial contributions when you can make them, and just for cheering me on as you do. I am grateful. We'll see you next time.